Founder, editor-in-chief, master of all things at Onstage Blog, onstageblog.com. Really thrilled that you're joining us tonight, this morning, this afternoon, whenever you are listening to this podcast. Really happy you're here. Joined with me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? What's up, Chris? What's up, people around the internet? What's going on? We got a lot of entertainment this week. I'm fired up. I'm back into a routine. Enough of this vacation BS. Ready to dig into some entertainment news. Are you ready, Chris? Are you ready to rock? I'm ready. I'm ready. Hey, let's get into it. Let's just let's just jump right in. No explanation needed. Ben, hit me with your first thing, my man. What's your what right. you got? Number one. Here we go. I watched an amazing stand-up performance by Dave Chappelle uh late last week. Uh straight to Netflix. Netflix uh Dave Chappelle's Sticks and Stones. Uh Chris, did you check this out? I I did I have not, but I've read about it. I haven't read about it. I haven't watched it yet for myself. Yeah, just I I thought it was just awesome, just great. I mean, the the thing about Dave Chappelle is he is able to talk about very extreme, extremely controversial topics, like things that you're not supposed to talk about in public. And he is able to find them. You know, in this, uh, you know, I would like to say in this age of, uh, where you can kind of say anything in this age of you can't really say anything <laughs> because of people are going to protest you and troll you on the internet. Um, it's amazing to see how someone like him can be so mindful in how he can navigate such risky topics. So it was really great, Chris, really good stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I heard that. I mean, I read a lot of the articles about it, some reviews. He's definitely said some, he had some hot takes, so to speak, uh, during his, his stand-up act. But, you know, I, I think that people need to watch it before they pass judgment. So I definitely need to watch it, which is why I'm not going to pass judgment on anything that he, he said. Um, and we have to remember that, that stand-up comedy is supposed to make us feel uncomfortable. We're supposed to laugh. We're supposed to, you know, we're, we're listening to observations and a person's opinion on different topics. And, you know, I think what gets lost, and this is where I talked about this before, where stand-up comedy is in this kind of weird, you know, area right now of what can you say and what can you not say. I will say, you know, I, I do like the fact that Dave Chappelle is, is 100% being himself. He's not trying to play a character. He's not trying to play it safe, worried about what he's going to, he's just going out there and saying what he wants to say um, and he's going to live and die by it. And I, I respect that. I do. Yeah, I, you, you got it, Chris. And I heard some rumblings even before I watched this. And I did the same thing you did. I mean, I you know, he, he definitely talks about Michael Jackson. He definitely talks about suicide. He talks about school shootings. He talks about, oh, my God, he hits on every kind of topic. They're not one of the most riskiest topics that I could see was the uh, he talked about the LGBT community. Mm. And it had a whole spiel on it. But it was about the reason why I thought that it worked was he kind of went after how sometimes sensitive the community can be towards people saying things in stand up comedy. <laughs> there you so go. He, 
he goes right for the throat. I mean, he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't like kind of skirt around like, oh, can I say this? He just he even makes fun of the the audience for being wicked uh, picky about what you say. Uh, it, it was wild, Chris. It, and it was like kind of like refreshing to see, like you said, someone that's not trying to apologize for what he's trying to do. He's like, and he, he says it right in the bit and the whole standup is I'm trying to make people laugh and it's getting harder and harder and harder. And he even talks about Kevin Hart and Chris Rock and why people aren't playing like shows out anymore. It's really interesting. Well, I think the other thing, too, is I think people forget, if you go back and watch Chappelle's show, a lot of those would definitely not play well necessarily with some folks in 2019. Um, again, like he uncomfortable topics and brought a lot of conversations to the forefront. So I, I, that's why I've always said that I think Dave Chappelle is one of the most important stand-up comedians of my time. You know, he's right up there with people that really push that needle. Um, in different directions. So yeah, I'm, I it's definitely on my it's in my queue uh, of things to see. Yeah, the uh, I mean, Chris, I'm gonna say, and I said this to a couple people, like just everyone uh, in my work and people talking. Uh, the first ten minutes of this stand-up are probably some of the most tight and most laughs you'll get in a, a first ten minutes of a stand-up, and the topics that he brings are, are just interesting. And actually, I started an article. And it, it's from the ringer and just saying how it's kind of the, the standup was kind of predictable. And I, I couldn't cool. even believe that. And I was like, are, were they watching the same thing I did? <laughs> it was like the whole <laughs> time I was like putting my head in my, like my hand in my, uh, my head in my hands. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe you said that. I was still laughing, but I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe he's talking about that. And so if that's predictable, I don't know what, who, who reported on this story, but I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess. It, <laughs> It was like maybe the most jaded person of all time wrote this article. I don't get it, but yeah, it was, it was just, it was so refreshing to see someone go up and just not give an f about, you know, he's trying to make people laugh, and he said it right in the bit. He's like, I'm trying to make you guys laugh, and it's getting harder and harder and harder to do. And actually, like, just goes after the audience right in front of them. It was pretty awesome. So definitely check it out, Chris. High recommendation. Definitely will. Definitely good stuff, man. Good way to lead off. Yeah, and I can't wait to see, like, I I can't wait to see someone like yourself that has championed, you know, LGBT uh, causes on his, like, pod and stuff like that and online to really watch the bit that he does in there. He gets, he is skirting such a line, and he knows he's doing it. Like, he's smiling the whole time. He knows he's (laughs) on this very thin line. If he goes one way too much if he goes one way too much like he'll offend a lot of people and not be funny and he's enjoying every single second of it so ju- just check it out i can't wait to hear your take on that part in particular that's great that's awesome that's awesome good good stuff man all right so for my first pick this week ben i don't know if you but um there have been rave reviews about this new joker movie that is coming out uh at the beginning of october with Joaquin Phoenix in the title role. Have you seen the buzz about this movie? Yes, I've I've read things. I think I read um, the Roger Ebert review, and I've just watched a YouTube video just recapping all the critic reviews. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think it's sitting right now at an eighty nine percent of Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, it is. People are saying that like Phoenix is a shoe in for an Oscar for this, and you know everything. So, but the the thing that you know the one continuous 
comment in the, all these reviews has been that this is not the Joker that you know. Like, this is not, like, the DC villain that you're used to. This is something else entirely. This goes beyond what Heath Ledger did in The Dark Knight. And this is a movie that has barely any, apparently barely any connection to Batman at all, other than the fact that a couple of the Wayne family members appear in it, and it takes place in Gotham City. Other than that, not much connection to Batman. So my concern and my question for you, sir, is while this is certainly going to get rave reviews from critics, do you think the fans will, is this a movie do you think that the fans will embrace if it is such a departure from, you know, canon, so to speak? You know, I'm so glad you posed this question to me. I, ha- I had this started this week, and I wasn't sure how to approach it because I'm reading all these reviews. I seen all the trailers. Uh, I should be getting excited for it, but I'm not. Ooh. And that's not a good thing. I, and I don't know what that is. And listen, I, I have nothing against Joaquin Phoenix um, and uh, Todd Bridges, the director. I, I, I don't know what it is that... Or Tom Phillips, not Tom Bridges. Tom it's Tom Bridges from like What's Happening or something. What's uh, that? <laughs> <laughs> that's totally distracting. But anyway, um, I don't know what that is, Chris. That maybe I've just been origin story to death. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I just feel like there's this. I've seen an origin story so many times, and the thing that like I've talked about on the pod is when you got to. Um, even Captain Marvel, which I really wasn't a fan of because it was another origin story. Like at this point, you need to do something really different with your origin story that makes me go, oh, I didn't even know this was an origin story. Here we go. Or it's like a B plot of this movie. I think that's why Marvel movies were really kicking ass there is because they would introduce a character off to the side and it really wouldn't be the you know main character's origin story. It'd be this other character's origin story. So by the time you got to their movie, you're like off to the races. Um, maybe that's why I'm not really excited about it. I don't know, Chris. What What do you think? I mean, I, I'm I, I I like psychological thrillers. I mean, as a genre, I typically like this. So I, I like it. You know that I like a good one. I won't lie. But with, with I'm a Batman guy. A lot of people ask, you know, are you you know what's your favorite superhero? I for me, it's always been Batman. So you know, when someone takes this material so far left field or out of bounds from what we typically know it um it can it can you know cause some backlash and i think the problem is especially with the way that the dc you know universe or the dc properties are are kind of scattered and they have no idea what they're doing is let's say this movie's a hit and then you've got robert pattinson's matt reeves batman movie coming out two years from now are you going to try to connect these movies and try to make that work? Because I don't see how one is going to really help the other. I mean, it's just the the problem is is that you're, it's it's existing within a studio that has no plan whatsoever with with how they're doing these movies. So I just don't know how to like, how much value should I put into this movie? Does that does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And and also just speaking about tone and and you know tone of the movie we already had the dc movies that were self-important and very serious and we had to take them very serious and it didn't work out 
You know what I mean? Robert Downey Jr. doing improv in, you know, the Avengers Endgame. We're just dancing circles and laughing at Batman versus Superman or whatever movie. <laughs> I could just, that's that's my visual I have. It's just like these people just being so self-important. I just feel like that's, now we're going to have like the Oscar movie self-important, which is, you know, and I don't know. I, I, we're coming off of two very fun Oscar movies, you know, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Midsummer. And now mm-hmm. I am, I don't know, like, it just seems like a very, I don't know, I've never seen the movie, so I don't know why I'm, I'm putting all this on there. It's just the tone. I just, I feel like if I go to see this movie, I have to drudge through it. It's going to be like, right. I don't know, I, I, I just don't get it. It's going to be like The Machinist. It'll be like the movie oh. The Machinist, right? Like, I saw yeah. that movie. Very amazing. Like, you know, amazing performance. But am I going to go back and rewatch The Machinist? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, do you have to? <laughs> right, exactly. I get it. Like, uh, it's gonna be a great flick, you know, the first time, but it's not gonna be a a fun ride. It's 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 gonna be intense. I, I don't know. And, and some movies deserve to be that, but I don't know if a comic book movie necessarily needs to be that, or not this one. I don't know. And yeah, I have my yeah. my concerns about that too. About as far as, of course, if this thing makes money and definitely wins Oscars, of course they're going to try to get Joaquin Phoenix come back or Todd Phillips come back or whatever right. it is. I don't know. I, I, yeah, Chris, I, it's just a mess. It, it's just, I think it's just a long series of messes. And if it wasn't tied to anything, like let's say it's just called uh, the sad clown or uh, right. clown, clown man. And you'd be like, whoa, clown man looks really good. Whoa. Like it had nothing to do with Batman. And then he just kind of had little Easter eggs in there with Arkham Asylum. You'd be like, oh, that was neat. You know, it's not really the Joker, but they just did a little Easter egg. Now you're talking. Now, mm-hmm. if it was an like an ambivalent kind of thing, like, oh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, Todd Phillips, they won't even tell anyone that this is really the Joker. No one really knows. Now that makes it interesting. Cool. All right. Good stuff, man. Well, what do you got for your number two this week? All right, my number two is uh, the show Mindhunter, uh, the David Fincher-driven uh, show. Uh, this was – I finished the whole thing. Uh, Chris, did you start season two? Um, actually, I'll be honest with you, I have not yet because I'm working my way through season one right now. Okay. Um, well, you know, it's it's one of those kinds of shows that uh, definitely doesn't need – there's no spoilers to be given. Uh, you kind of know what's going on. Uh, you know, the thing that someone could spoil is who they get to interview in season two, but it's really a real life kind of show. I mean, this is really what happened at the beginning yeah. of the well, the behavioral science unit, the FBI, which science of the lambs is based off of and yada, yada, yada. Um, so it is, let me tell you, it excels if if it, I don't know, it, it really does excel and gets better in season two, which is hard for me to believe because season one was one of my favorite shows of last year. Uh, wow. Like, yeah, it, it's so good. Uh, it feels like a giant movie. You got Fincher at the helm, just tackling a subject that he loves, and his now speaking of pacing, that's a subject that needs to be kind of dark and plodding, and because it's such an interesting kind of topic that you can't keep your eyes off the screen so i thought the follow-through on the season was amazing there's a couple things i would have changed but nothing cra- uh, crazy uh chris what do you think of the show so far honestly i i'm i'm digging it i really am i mean i i'm a huge david fincher fan so 
I'm pretty much on board with anything that he does. Um, also, it's like it's weird because like I know Jonathan Groff, so it's kind of like you know it's kind of cool to see him in this like kind of role, uh, which he's fantastic in. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really digging it. I'm like I think I'm like halfway through season one. My goal was to basically binge it and then be ready for season two, uh, but I, things got you know I got behind on it. But um, you know, it's I, I'm just I'm loving every second of it so far. But you you nailed it. The tone of it is just fantastic. Yeah, and I think it, you know what, the tone actually works really well because if like imagine if the the show was actually fast, clipping at a fast pace, and all these things were happening like too quick, and they were just introducing too much, it would kind of you'd lose the gravity of what we're watching. Like mm. this show is really about awful, really real awful people that did awful awful things, and when you make it really plotting, it kind of sinks in. And gets into your core. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like the movie, like Silence of the Definitely. Lambs or something like that. Yeah. So I just, I, I just love it. And then like all the, the actors that recreate all the real people in real life are just amazing. Um, and let me tell you, Chris, not to spoil anything, but um, one of the last scenes of season two was so disturbing that I, I actually thought about it while I went to sleep. It was terrible, and I like made sure the doors Ooh. were locked in my house. <laughs> Oh, it was gross. Like, I will say, like, I mean, I love shows that get that grab me with the first five minutes, like the first five minutes of the first episode. If you can grab my attention and I'm I'm with you till the end. And, you know, that first that first scene where he's rolling up on the that hostage situation with the guy that thinks he's invisible and ends up, you know, killing himself. Spoiler alert. Um, what a great great opening to the show i mean just really and i'm with you the entire time so yeah if that's if you're telling me that season two kind of ends with the scene kind of disturbing it makes you think man i can't i can't wait yeah it's it, it was quite disturbing i mean quite and let me tell you it has nothing to do with the main plot it's not an action scene it's just something they're showing you and it sticks with you and you're like blech. you're just you want to go take a shower afterwards Oh, I love it. I love it. Good stuff, man. I can't wait to dig into that. All right. So for my number two, Ben, I, I don't, you're not a tennis fan, are you? No. Okay. All right. So we're not going to spend too much time on this. <laughs> uh, but so right now the U.S. Open is going on in, in New York City. So this is like New York City's big tennis event. Uh, it happens every summer. It kind of ends the summer, so to speak, for, for tennis. Um, but what I'm noticing is more more now than ever there are tennis players especially in the male side that are basically adopting wwe smack talk tactics um when like you know having certain behaviors on the court like you know we all know like john McEnroe, who famously had like temper tantrums and sworn refs and things like that going beyond what McEnroe has been doing then you got another guy who was booed, I guess, in his opening match, and then started making gestures to the crowd saying, like, give me more boos and things like that. So every single match he's had, you know, he's, like, relishing in the boos, like he's trying to play up this, like, villain role. And I'm just, I'm watching this, and I'm like, first of all, this is ridiculous because it's tennis. Like, you know, not for nothing. It's not boxing or wrestling. It's tennis. And you're trying to adopt these, like, villainous personalities. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, 
but they've got me like semi interested in this. And is that maybe the point where you've got a sport that is probably not doing great on television or in pop culture and things like that? Um, so that you kind of need these characters to do that. Ben, what do you what do you think about like people adopting like these types of behaviors? in sports that don't necessarily need it, like tennis and golf. Those are good examples. Yeah, I remember, like, a uh, long time ago, you know, I, I think I was listening to Dan Patrick, and uh, a caller called in, and this caller really stuck with me. And he was talking about, like, Dan, I think he was talking about, you know, the championship and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, it was great. You know, I was, I was trying to get into it, but these get in the hole guys, the guys that scream get in the hole <laughs> – really took him out of it he's like dude i i'm trying to just enjoy the sport and it's really good i think tiger was in it or something something was going on there was a race and he was like oh this is awesome i kind of finally understood it but these guys that scream get in the hole as the ball's going you know over and over he's like it was so annoying just drove me nuts i think some sports are supposed to be slow they're just supposed to be nice and relaxing meditations like golf and tennis and baseball for that matter of fact you know we've seen when they try to do too much goofy stuff it kind of I don't know. I'm kind of a purist when it comes to sports like that. It should be a certain way. You know what I mean? I like a little flavor and a little flair. I like Dennis Eckersley, Eckersley saying like, oh, that was a little cheese on that ball. You know what I mean? I like a little flavor in my mm-hmm. sports. But when it gets too much, you know, like famously, we had uh, Dennis Miller on Monday Night Football. You know what I mean? We It was a little right. too much. It went over the heads of people and people just want to enjoy the sport for what it is. I don't know, Chris. What do you think about that? I think it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, tennis and, you know, especially tennis and golf, which are sports that have the etiquette and sportsman between the players is like sacred and um, like a major part of that sport. To have these guys, and I'm saying guys because those are the guys that are doing it. The women are doing it. Um, and when they do, they, te- they tend to get punished more than the men do. But you got these guys trying to, like, create brands for themselves in a sport where it's like you create your brand by winning. And so my thing, especially with tennis, like, with team sports, a little diff- it's a little different. Like, you know, Julian Edelman could be the biggest jerk in the world, and he could back it up because he plays in the Patriots, and he's got at least, what, three or four Super Bowls by yeah. himself. <laughs> but when you're, if you're a tennis player and you've got a big mouth, not for nothing, but you better be winning. Like, you know, like you better be winning tournaments. And if you're getting knocked out in the second round of the U.S. Open and you've got a mouth, you're just going to look like an idiot. Like, that's just the way I feel. Um, but that's why you've got guys like Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and like, these guys who have been winning for years, and they just keep their mouth shut. Because what, what do they do? They just keep winning. That's all they do. They, they you know, they talk with their rackets, I guess. So, yeah. You know, you know, and I, I like when they do like a little thing, like, <laughs> I think you nailed it. Maybe it's more about being a professional and being like a good sportsman. Like I like the whole uh, Tiger and Phil Mickelson uh, little side golf thing that they had with the betting and all that stuff. That mm-hmm. was really cool because they would do these little comments back and forth and trash talk, but it was still kind of elevated. It wasn't too much in your face. And I, I, I mean, I appreciated that. So, I mean, there's room, there's wiggle room there, but I think you nailed it. It's more about how you come out in the end. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Just win, baby. Yeah, baby. Talk. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, man. What do you got for number three this week? 
All right, number three. Um, this was kind of a quick story. I know we talked a lot about Disney last week and how the new streaming service is coming out. And there's more Disney news this week. Um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to score Disney Pixar's new film, Soul. Whoa! That's, that's, wait, what? Yeah, let that sink in. Uh, there's a giant article here, um, and I uh, and I read the whole thing, but just 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 let that sink in. Let that um, marinate for a second. Yeah, and you know what? And the soul movie seems like it's kind of out there, might lend itself to that type of music, but okay. Like I mean, when you think of their scores, you think of like the Social Network, and you think of these girl, kind girl of girl the dragon tattoo. And, yeah, these kind of plotting music you know, kind of scores that are just wild and dark and morose and even though there's no words to them they're kind of scary and weird and give you that you know want to take a shower feeling like i said before um chris what do you think about trent reznor scoring a disney movie (laughs) that's like the question of the year right there um (laughs) i feel i just feel weird i feel weird and you know like you know not for nothing but you're talking about a company that especially with the James Gunn stuff that's like, well, you have to have like a, a squeaky clean pass to work for us. And yet you're talking about a guy who was a lead singer for nine inch nails. And, you know, you look at the records that they put out, it's not exactly Disney friendly, but um, it's, it's an interesting choice. I mean, what, what's, what makes me more interested is like, what does this say about the, the movie itself? Like, you know, I don't think Trent Reznor would sign on to do a happy go lucky, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, Disney score. Unless he, unless he's gonna do it in a, in a really interesting way. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 a it's such an interesting choice. I'm frozen by this this choice, so to speak. Yeah, I know. It's it's such an interesting choice in this movie coming out. I don't know what to make of it. Um, but you know what? I when. Even I was apprehensive when I heard that he was scoring movies in general. And, you know, I was wrong. I had to kind of change my thinking after hearing, like, The Social Network and just how awesome that score is. And that movie still is just kind of moving up the ranks in my mind of just how you had Aaron Sorkin and you had David Fincher and Trent Reznor at the height of their powers just all converging on this one project and just in this perfect little, I don't know, just this perfect accident that happens to be this cool movie so um i don't know i'm all for it and he hasn't proven me wrong yet really he hasn't so i'm just i like how he's expanding his brand of nine inch nails i like how he's expanding his brand as himself and just doing new and different things so i don't know we'll see we'll see we'll see man good stuff um also you know it's funny segueing into my number three uh was also kind of disney related um kristen stewart the Twilight actress, who's going to be in this fall's Charlie's Angels reboot that nobody wanted, um, came out. She was doing an interview. I don't know if you saw this. And one of the tidbits that came out of that interview was she was told, I guess by either her agent or someone else that was like in her circle that that was in the know, um, that if she had if she toned down her her female uh, relationship with you know, another female uh, in terms of their PDA and stuff like that, um, that she could land a Marvel movie, so to speak. And that was like a little bit of a hot take because I don't, I don't know how to really you know, react to that because you're talking about a company that 
has been very progressive and very inclusive right. with its characters. Um, I mean, you know, Valkyrie is going to be an LGBT character, um, you know, with a with new one coming out as well. So I don't, I don't know if I buy this necessarily, but it, it definitely made me think of, you know, is that stigma still out there, so to speak, of, of when it comes to gay relationships and trying to somehow hide them in order to to get work, so to speak? And I just I just wanted your thoughts on that real quick. Um, wait, who? So who told her that? So I think I, I, I got to go back and read the interview, but I believe it was her agent told her. That, oh, her agent. Well, yeah, if because I guess they like, I don't know if she expanded on it. If like someone at Marvel told her. The agent that hey, if Kristen Stewart just tones down the, the gayness, quote unquote, uh, then she could probably get a Marvel movie. But at yeah, the same I don't. Time, I don't know if I buy I that. I, I don't know if I buy that story. Yeah. At all, uh, you know, the point of the agent mm-hmm. is to get more work and more money for them and you, right? So, right. I think you know, in your personal life, I think an agent is just trying to make you as bland as possible. <laughs> So you don't do anything controversial and not controversial, but that goes against the grain of any company that's trying to hire you. So, mm. you know, replace her relationship with a giant purple mohawk. You know what I mean? Like right. that will get you less roles too, because you're excluding yourself from certain roles. Like if you were just like, Nope, going to wear this purple mohawk, no matter what, no matter what, what role you got me, you know what I mean? I don't care if I'm playing like uh, queen Elizabeth, got to support the purple mohawk you're gonna be like well you're not gonna get cast in the movie so i I could see it like this story like just being like a harmless kind of conversation with the agent and it's being kind of targeted upon i don't know that's my take but i don't know what what the actual uh content of is it what did you you think chris i mean i i just i mean i don't want to see kristen stewart in a marvel movie anyway because i don't think she's a good actress um that's just 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 my own take she's she's great in she's like a great indie star if, if anything, um, they put in a great indie, dark comedy, dark drama, like, you know, fine. Um, the fact that she's in this, like, Charlie's Angel reboot seems like a real departure from her usual, you know, types of roles. Uh, but I, I don't want to see her in a movie. So um, I was just kind of, I just, I just kind of looked at it, whatever. But, but again, this is, a, this is an interesting thing where, and I had this discussion with someone else where it feels like Marvel and those who are involved with it, meaning the actors that are in these movies, it almost feels like they're the cool kids in school right now. And you're starting to hear like bitterness from a lot of these other stars, and these actors in Hollywood that aren't involved. Like, I don't know if this Kristen Stewart take was a swipe at, at Marvel, but this is not the first time we've seen someone do this. I mean, very famously, Arnie Hammer, who was also in the social network playing the twins, yeah. um, also took a couple of swipes at Marvel uh, a couple of different times. At one point when Stan Lee died, they criticized all the actors for posting their selfies with Stan Lee, saying that, like, you should be making about him, not yourselves. Uh, and he's also made little comments here and there, which I'm like, I read as he's just upset because he's not in a Marvel movie. But um, what, do you, what do you think about that right now in terms of the status of those involved with Marvel and, and those who aren't? Well, you know what? Um, maybe some of these actors aren't really good at improv. 
just gonna put that out there. You know what I mean? Like, there's just certain actors, and I've 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 heard this in multiple like pods and stuff, and they're just good actors. They make good movies. I think I've heard this like multiple times, like a lot of people. And you know, have you ever noticed how there's like super A-list stars that are just never on like talk shows? Mm-hmm. You know, and it some of them are just private people. They just don't like being doing that whole thing. But I don't know. Maybe some of them aren't really funny <laughs> and they're not good at the improv thing it, it's fine it's just not their specific niche it's just you know some actors are good at straight plays some good at, some are good at musicals and then some don't cross over some there's only a few actors that can do all of it and yeah. so i don't know it, it's just, i think you know and then they get upset that they're not asked to be in a marvel movie that's improv heavy <laughs> that is like full of comedy you know there's there's a reason why paul rudd was ant-man is he the most famous person? Could they have gotten like a, a super more famous person to play Ant Man? Of course, but you kind of wanted someone that can has some comedy chops in there because it, was Ant Man the strongest premised movie? No, but it's really funny in a lot of parts, and that's what saved the movie really. So uh, I think that's what's going on with that jealousy thing. Is these actors are like, oh well. You get to be in these Marvel movies. It's like, yeah, well, if you step up your funny game, <laughs> go to a couple improv classes, maybe you can be in one too. I, I don't know. There you go. Yeah, it breaks down to like what type of movie, you know, like all those self-important movie that uh, people that want to be in those movies, why don't they hop over to DC Universe? They got plenty of self-important movies. There over you there. go. Yeah, <laughs> Kristen Stewart, go be in a DC movie. <laughs> no one wants your Marvel. Anyway, here you go. All right, man, what's your number four this week? My number four is uh, a pretty big story. Um, Richard Linklater. I uh, love that director. Um, he is uh, the boyhood director, of course. His new project is reportedly going to take at least 20 years to make. And so um, just a really crazy m- movie. And uh, let's see, there was a article. The story follows the life of Broadway composer turned Hollywood star Franklin Shepard, who abandons his beginnings in New York for fame on the West Coast. So the whole movie takes place over 20 or is shot over 20 years. So the actors will grow old. Chris, uh, what are your thoughts on like doing movies like this, like that well, kind of movie? I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, so, yeah, the musical is called Merrily We Roll Along. It's a very well-known uh, Stephen Sondheim musical that is adapting for the film. And what's interesting about this, this musical is it's actually when you stage it, they, they go actually back in time. So the, the musical starts off when they're old, and um, as the musical progresses, they, you kind of go through their you know their life struggles, their love struggles, and the musical actually ends as them as you know twenty year old you know late twenties early thirties, just getting to New York City you know bright eyed bushy tailed, ready to attack this industry. So that's how that's how it's staged. And what's interesting is that the way they're filming it. They're filming all the young stuff now, so they're technically filming the end of the movie, and they're gonna like basically film it backwards up until you know twenty years from now. So get out of here! That's crazy. It's crazy. Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, I I like it. I like how they're filming it. Um, I like the fact that it's Richard Linklater because he's. I think the, the man could do no wrong, in my eyes. However. Uh, my one thing is like a lot of I mean Boyhood is a great movie. It's it's a great. You saw Boyhood, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great movie. Um, I think that people unfairly, you know, 
lobbed at Linklater like, well, it's a good movie, but the reason why it's getting all this attention is because, you know, he filmed it over a 10-year period and blah, blah, blah. Um, and no one's ever really done that before. So I feel like this is kind of him dipping back into that well, that gimmick almost, if you know. Um, and I, I just don't want, I don't want that unfair criticism to come out again, being like, oh, here comes Linklater with his 20-year movie again, things like that. Um, but again, at the same time, you've got a great cast. You've got Ben Platt. You've got Beanie Feldstein, who's Jonah Hill's sister, uh, in it. They're actually best friends in real life, so that makes that, that adds chemistry to the whole thing as well. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and I can't. I, I made a joke online, basically saying that like to give people an a, a illustration of how far this movie is away from us. Uh, my son will be legally able to rent a car to go see the movie when it comes out. <laughs> so that's how far away this movie is from being released. But yeah, Ben, what do you think about this, man? I just love it, man. I love. You know, Linklater is has always played with time and how he films movies, even from the very beginning, his first movie, Slacker, and just how that movie was off the cuff and takes place really within like a half a day. Mm. Um, and so here's the movie that takes place over a lifetime or like Boyhood takes place over 10 years. Um, so I just love how he plays with that time-wise thing. And then, of course, when with movies that are traditionally shot, like even Days to Confuse and Before Sunrise, those movies take place over one day or one night. So um, I just love when filmmakers are able to take a movie, a movie form that has been handed down for generations now and really turn it on its head by not doing something super crazy and avant-garde, but doing something that is still in the rules and parameters of what a movie is and making it something worthwhile. Mm, definitely, definitely. Um, no, I can't wait for that, man. That's that's going to be great. That's well, you have great. to. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I really I do have to wait for it. But here's my – this is my concern. Um, while I'm definitely looking forward to this, this film version, every single – production of this musical has been panned by critics like this is this is widely considered sondheim's worst musical so uh. who knows we'll see if we'll see if you know um link later could turn around i hope i hope i'm around to see it like, yeah i know like oh my well, god i hope some of these actors me. make it these actors <laughs> You're, you're, it's a lot of gamble. You know, did they do like physicals on them? Like, you know, mental health checkups, oh, addiction well, checkups. Link, and Linklater, he's gonna be probably like almost eighty when this thing is over. Like, oh, because he's what 50, 60 now? I don't know. Yeah. Good lord. All right. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. All right, man. So for my number four, um, Ben, my man, HBO is back, my friend. They've got some good stuff. Uh, that has premiered over the past couple weeks. Uh, first and foremost, The Righteous Gemstones. Have you been able to catch that yet? Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude. Uh, it is it is everything I was hoping it was going to be. Um, I am ready to declare that Danny McBride and Jody Hill are some of the finest comedy writers, if not the finest comedy writers, um, you go from Eastbound and Down to Vice Principals to Righteous Gemstones, and all of them are, are, are hits in my mind. Uh, ben, I just want your thoughts on Righteous Gemstones first. I thought that, 
you know, so I, I went in thinking that it was going to be vice principals and that it was going to be eastbound down. And you can really see how, and this one was written and directed by Danny McBride, the first mm. episode at least. Um, and I thought it was really great that how almost serious the show was. Mm. It's quite, it's quite a ridiculous show. Don't get me wrong. It's very, it's, it's the most ridiculous show ever, but, um, Compared to Vice Principals and Eastbound Down, there were actually some moments of a little flair of drama there. Almost yeah. like trying to make them real people, like real billionaire people with real problems. Like, And I was trying to think of the difference between that show and Succession, right? Mm-hmm. Succession is a show that can be quite ridiculous and these snarky, nasty people making fun of each other. Um, but they make it a little, they make it very realistic. Where Righteous Gemstone... Righteous Gemstones definitely has some things that are based on real people in real life and then flips it on their head. Kind of like, um, you know, actually, you know, it was like Eastbound and Down flipping John Rocker on his head, too. Yep. Um, so I don't know, Chris. I thought it was great. I can't wait to see where we go. And you know what? You know, what I love about the precedent set by uh, especially Vice Principals and Eastbound and Down is. This show could be a one and done or this one could just be one season or it could be a two season, three season. I just love how we're it's just about how funny they can make a premise stretch. And for my money, I think they have set up the the ground. That pilot was one of the most strongest comedy pilots I've ever seen in my life. Just the oh whole the whole blackmail thing. And uh, it, it was just amazing. The whole family dynamic, the food fight at the restaurant. Just amazing. Amazing stuff. What was funny was I was like I was laughing throughout. Like there were there I definitely, you know, there were moments that just made me laugh throughout. But I don't know, like when when they run over both guys with the car at the end of the pilot, I was roaring with laughter. I was like, that is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um and the woman that plays their sister, yeah. um, she's fantastic. She is fantastic. Like her name escapes me, but she was also vice principals. Oh, right, um, right. She was great in that, yeah. She was great in that, too. She's great in that. She's like, when she's like, slap me harder, daddy. I, I You know, like, I'm... Slap I'm me, a, too. I'm your daughter. I'm your daughter. Slap me, too. <laughs> she has these little lines that I are are blatantly... I don't think they're scripted. I think she's just doing improv. Um, oh, I don't think... Just, yeah. Like, I, I think the, the whole cast is just doing that. But, uh, you know, it's... I think what the the... This might be we're on a path to the next thing. Imagine that, you know, there's not nothing in improv, improv's handbook, you know, per se, that says it has to be funny. Whoa. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, one thing that I always say when I'm doing improv or just teaching improv is it's always yes and. You know what I mean? You have to agree with what's happening, what your partners or scene partners are saying, just yes and. And don't try to push the funny. It will be funny if you just agree to those rules. Um, and so imagine if the new dynamic of improv is to not go for the laughs. So it's still improv. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't doubt that Danny McBride is just going off the cuff. But imagine he's not going for uh, the most obvious punchline, almost like the movie Step Brothers or almost like the movie Eastbound, or the show Eastbound and Down, where it's right. like there's obvious punchlines that they're going for. Where this show, like the end of scenes weren't necessarily to – have it be a zinger, but it was really just to show you like John Goodman's part really wasn't that funny. He was kind of a serious um, part of the show. 
know mm-hmm. what I mean? It actually gave some gravity to the whole thing. And I, I just thought it was great, Chris. Great effort. Absolutely. Awesome. Now, my second part of that was, what do you think of Secession so far? Or what I call um, serious, serious Billions. Yeah, serious, <laughs> serious. I mean, it's hard to not to draw parallels to it. Right. They both had that. I think we talked about. They both had the bird eating scene. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, I'm such a billions fan that it was hard for me. I mean, I watched the first season. I, I think I've watched a couple of the second season. It's okay, um, and it's a great show. Don't get me wrong. I, I just think that. I, here you go, Chris. I don't know what the difference between that and Billions is as far as that one wins awards and Billions doesn't. Yeah, that's a good point. That's like, a really good point. I, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand why I love this one. No awards. This one's good, but it's kind of the same concepts over here. But this one's going to win like a billion Emmys. I, I just mm. maybe it's just my personal bias because I'm in I'm a Billions fan. So I don't know. I mean, my my thing is. And I don't know if you feel the same way when you watch the session. Is I don't I don't know who to root for in this show. No, I don't. I like I want them. I don't like any of them. I find all of them like other than the guy who plays the fiance of the daughter and the guy oh, right. that yeah and that like distant cousin who tries to like get in on the family and he's just a dope. Like other than those two characters, I don't like anybody on this show. And I don't really care what happens to them. Um, and I'm almost like rooting for them. Maybe I'm just rooting for them to, to fail in a way. I don't know. But um, And that feeling has not changed in season two either. Um, and a lot of people I've been reading online because I'm just, I guess you could say I'm not a, enough of a fan of this show to feel anything different about season one to season two. I'm just kind of indifferent to it all. Yeah, but a, right. lot of peop- a lot of people are saying like, man, season two has not been good. And I'm just like, eh, I, I couldn't tell you. It's like it's like reading Slovakian. I'm like, sure. I don't know. Well, like, and you know what? It's really funny is I just was watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, right? Mm. And there's a show, just like Seinfeld, where all your characters are either idiots or you are they're terrible people, right? <laughs> but they 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 let you in on the joke. They're like, wink, wink. That's the point. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and the more far they can take this thing, the more you'll tune in. And I just don't know if it's succession is that obvious enough. It's kind of like a one, one note joke where it's always sunny is willing to take that joke as far as possible. Uh, <laughs> so, another show. That's another show that hasn't gotten nearly the awards that it should. Is. I don't uh, think it's gotten any. I don't think it's gotten any. I don't think it's been ever been. I don't ever think it's been nominated. Oh, and it's the longest-running live-action TV show of all time. That's ridiculous. Like, I that's think they ridiculous. surpassed uh, uh, I Love Lucy, like, two years ago. Good Lord. That's just... Ugh. Yeah, and that's... they're still bringing the funny, too. Like, shows, episodes from, like, last season were the some of the funniest I've ever seen in the whole, like, 15-year run of the show. It's just crazy. They just keep bringing the funny at such a high level. So, Love I don't it. know. It's just crazy how like some things that I love aren't rewarded and or given awards. I don't know. It's weird. There you go. Well, folks, get on the get on the righteous gemstones, and then if you're a fan of of succession, just tell me why, because I need to understand. Yeah. What what I need to like about this show? Because I don't. I just don't. I just don't. There you go. Uh, all right, Ben. What's the, what's your number five this week, my friend? Man, I got a bunch. Um. Um. All right. You know what? Screw it. 
Uh, let's dip into podcasts. Okay, Chris? Oh, okay. Um, yesterday, I listened to uh, the Rewatchables podcast with Aaron Sorkin. Mm. Did you check this out? I'm halfway through it. Okay. Yes. Yep. Um, really interesting having someone like Aaron Sorkin on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Now, Aaron Sorkin is definitely one of our best TV or movie writer, TV and movie writers out there. You know what I mean? Just kind of prolific, crazy work that just. Iconic. Yep. Yeah, iconic work that no one can write at that level. You know what I mean? As far right. as bulk of dialogue. Well, he's, you know, yeah, he's created his own style. Like he's like you know, there are people being accused of, oh, you're just doing what Sorkin does now. Like anytime you, anytime you have a wordy script, people are just going to say, oh, you're just pulling a Sorkin, so to speak. So definitely. Yeah, and and you know, it's same as like, oh, you're just doing Tarantino style or something like right. that. Right. Um, so it was so interesting to listen to someone not be interviewed and just talk about movies that they love. That was kind of like so refreshing. That was my favorite part of the podcast. It's all I could think of is like someone like Aaron Sorkin or, you know, Tarantino, when they're interviewed, yeah, they like being interviewed, but you get a sense they'd rather be sitting around behind a typewriter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like even just their mannerisms and the way they speak, they're they're kind of herky jerky and stuff, um, and they just you get a sense that they just don't like the spotlight. Like in that sense, they like making movies, and I thought it was just really neat hearing all his takes on what goes into a movie, what he likes about movies, and like you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was definitely one of the if not the oldest movie they've done on the rewatchables podcast. I thought it was just great. Um, they nailed a bunch of things about the movie. I, I agreed with the whole take on the movie. Chris, what do you think about uh, Aaron Sorkin on the rewatchables? Well, I think I thought it was great too. And I, I got, I'm like I said, I'm halfway up. I got to the point where they're basically talking about like, um, I think it was like how William Goldman would like hold on to like a secret. And like not let let that secret be known in the script until later on, but all the while like writing, knowing that he was going to reveal this thing later in the film, and that was the fact that the Sundance Kid couldn't swim and stuff like that. So like I just I just really love hearing those kinds of things. And you're right, I love hearing like guys like Tarantino, Sorkin, you know, even Spielberg talk about the films that they love because then you you realize that these guys are just as a big of a cinephile as you are and they love film just as much as we do. And it, it just reveals a lot more about them as a person. Now, what's interesting is, like I said, I'm halfway through this thing and already I'm thinking to myself, this is like one of the best episodes of the rewatchables they've ever done. And I feel like this might be a pivoting moment for that podcast to the point where, they should do something like this more often. Like they should oh. bring in, they should bring in an actor. They should bring in a writer, bring in a director every now and then to do this exact thing because it's that good. And no, no disrespect to the Chris Ryan's and the Sean fantasies and the, um, you know, everybody else involved in that podcast. But sometimes, I mean, it just, they, they just like, they miss, they just miss. Um, and, but man, if you if you like if you told me, okay, we're gonna do we're gonna bring in uh, Tarantino to do a rewatchables, and he's gonna pick the movie. Um, I'm I'm I don't care what the movie is. I'm gonna listen to that podcast like the second it comes out. You know if you you know if you bring in a you know a 
you know, De Niro, or you bring in like an interesting actor like a Paul Giamatti, and you say, okay, we're going to do an episode where you pick the movie, and we will do the episode. We'll do it with all the categories, stuff like that. That's an amazing episode to listen to, and I feel that they should do that more often. Yeah, and I I like that idea. Like, and I like it with a movie that the person was even involved with. The farther away from the person is the better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I mean, you know, I mean, Tarantino doesn't want to talk about Pulp Fiction. He's talked about that a million times. Right. I mean, I'm sure if you if you brought in like a spaghetti western that's like so freaking obscure or something like that, or like The Third Man or something like that, like I would love to hear him talk passionately about a movie that he loves, and that's that that would be awesome. Yeah, good call, Chris. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I just thought it was. I mean, we don't talk about podcasts that much on here because you know it's our competition. It's our competition. <laughs> But I just thought that was just uh, um, something that needs to be talked about just because to have someone that is that much into industry talking about a movie he loves at such a geeky level is just, you know, like you said, it's refreshing. It makes them a person just like everyone else. It humanizes, you know, these people, you know, to hear them talk about these movies they love. It's like when you hear Lucas talk about Kurosawa films and stuff like that. It's like. You get a sense that all these guys were just film nerds at one time before they started making movies. And they're kind of sometimes they probably wish they were back there just doing that instead. <laughs> yeah, I did yeah. love the part where he says that the the script for uh, the film that he wrote, The American President, was like 380 pages. Um, and, he, <laughs> and he ended up taking just a lot of that out of the movie and just making it into the pilot of the Western, which I thought was awesome. Like, that's yeah, that was cool. awesome. That's a cool tidbit. So, yeah, and I love those little stories like that. I just, oh, yeah, it just, they stick with you and then they enhance the watching experience of the movie. So I just love that stuff. Definitely, definitely. Good stuff, man. Good. It's a good number five. All right, for my number five, uh, we're going to go into a, a topic or a genre or subject area that we, we haven't gotten a lot gone into at all, I don't think. It's food. Right, oh, talk about all right. Food real quick. All right. Ben, I don't know if you frequent the chain restaurants of called Popeye's chicken. Do you? Is, is, that, is that a thing in your household? Uh, there's one out in, uh, I think Utica and then Troy, New York. I, okay. I gotta say, uh, last time I went was maybe a year ago. That's about it. Alright, there you go. Yeah. So uh, no, I, not that frequent. Not that frequent. Same with me. I, I'm not, first of all, I'm not a frequent fried chicken eater of those types of restaurants because I find that Probably not the healthiest version of fried chicken, and I just would be, you know, gambling with my my arteries. But, oh well, oh well, Chris, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. I've been I've been known to eat some Popeyes chicken. I mean, I like the spicy, extra deep, extra fried. I mean, don't get me wrong. There you I'll, go. There you I'll go. go all in. So just want to just do that. But go ahead. What are you going to say about it? <laughs> so I don't know if you saw the news. They unveiled this summer a chicken sandwich to okay. basically compete with Chick Fil A. That was their goal, and um, if you look at the recipe, it's almost identical to the Chick-fil-A sandwich. It is literally a piece of chicken between two pieces of bread, like a little bit of you know mayonnaise, and a pickle. And that's their sandwich. It is almost identical to Chick-fil-A. And yet, because it's Popeye's, um, and this is their first foray into the chicken sandwich market, I guess, people are losing their minds. Um, there have been reports of weights of up to eight hours at certain stores just to get this chicken sandwich. Popeye's has actually announced that they have run out of the chicken sandwich, which begs me to ask the question, 
how how did that happen? Because all it is is a piece of chicken between two buns, a mayonnaise and a pickle. Uh, how could you run out of that? Um, and now you've got people doing some pretty stupid things or silly. I shouldn't say, well, silly and stupid. You've got people literally going and buying this sandwich and then putting it on eBay um, and, and auctioning off the ability to eat the sandwich. Um, I, don't know how, I don't know how good it tastes after being shipped and reheated, but uh, you've got people doing that. And then, um, uh, you know, rather dangerously, you had people the other day, I don't know where what state this was in, I just briefly saw the headline, uh, but you had armed robbers rob a Chick-fil-A, or a Popeye's, they didn't take any money, they just demanded the chicken sandwich. Um, Stop it. I swear to God. This has gotten out of control. And I just want to remind people out there, you can get the exact same chicken sandwich uh, at, at Chick-fil-A. I just... <laughs> It's like it's a chicken sandwich, people. Um, <laughs> I I don't get it. I, I mean, I understand that like when these fast food joints do these like limited time offers, like the McRib. You know, people used to lose their shit over the McRib and um, you know their their Szechuan sauce and stuff like that. So I get it. I understand that like if it's a limited item, but to my knowledge, this was going to be like a permanent item on their menu. Like this was just like. Like them introducing a brand new thing on their menu and people are just losing their minds over it. So I don't get it. Um, ben, I don't know if you had any thoughts on chicken sandwich or, or let me ask you this. Would you ever wait in line for more than an hour to get fast food? An hour? An hour. Uh, probably a half hour. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I. You know what, Chris? I, I Now I want a chicken sandwich. I'm not going to lie to you. Now I'm like... I, I want to go to Popeye's now. I might have to run out tomorrow. I might be going to Utica Way tomorrow. I might have to hit that thing right up. Just you know, bring bring a bring a hockey mask because you might have to rob the place to get to actually get one now. I, I gotta know. set up my PayPal account so I can sell these things. Uh, chicken sandwich. I don't. I don't. I just don't get people. That's an amazing story. That is so amazing. Like I, I used to like my my friends used to have this thing where like. They put on like online, like they put up a ridiculous headline and say like, this is how, this is why Trump wins or something like that. Like, this is why, this is like, this calls for one of those types of headlines because this is just, this is just humanity at, at its worst that we lose our shit over a, a chicken sandwich. I just, I can't. Oh, you know, he's going to, he's going to wheel it out next uh, college uh, championship team oh my God. to the White House. He's going to have <laughs> all Popeye's chicken sandwiches. <laughs> oh man, that'd be the ultimate uh, ridiculousness. So there you go. That's my number five. Nice. People going one. crazy over chicken sandwiches. Um, all right, let's go YouTube, my friend. Let's do all it. All right, baby. Let's get into it. What do you got this week, my friend? All right. Well, uh, I got a couple things. Um, we're gonna talk about. Um, so Saint Live unveiled a bunch of SNL vintage sketches Ooh. over the last like three weeks on YouTube, and these are fantastic. Um, so I picked out a couple. Uh, Fred Garvin, <laughs> male prostitute. Are you are you familiar with that one? No, but it sounds great. Oh, it's Dan Aykroyd uh, at his at the height of his powers. It's fantastic, uh, and he just keeps saying Fred Garvin, male prostitute. Uh, it's really great. And then there's one called Wake Up and Smile, um, SNL sketch with Will Ferrell and um, David Terry. 
No, oh, David Allen yeah. Greer. And they, they lose the teleprompter. You yes. ever see this one? Yes. And, the it, show. Yep. and it de-evolves into some like paganistic like Lord cult. Of, Lord of the Flies or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yes. I was laughing so hard. I never saw that. It was so great. And like, oh, it's, it, it was so great. And I just love ridiculous sketches. And we always talk on here about how the most ridiculous sketches on Saturday Night Live and Kids in the Hall are our favorites. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so those two are my favorite. But the one I really wanted to talk about is there's this YouTube uh, – YouTube artist out there called Nerd Writer, and I think I've talked a little bit about his podcast or his uh, videos before. And now he breaks down movies and film and writing and art, everything entertainment, kind of like us. Um, and he does this great video about where zombies come from. It <laughs> talks about how where the origins of the monster zombie came from. It goes back to. Um, people writing um, about Haiti and the Caribbean and stuff. Right. And actually right. how it was kind of derived from a pretty racist kind of connotation about people that were from the Caribbean. And then it kind of evolved into, as we know, George A. Romero's zombie um, mm-hmm. and the importance of all those things. I'm such a big fan of Night of the D- Night and Day of the Dawn of the uh, dead. So I just love those zombie films. So I thought it was a great video. It's only seven minutes long. Um, definitely check this thing out. Uh, I rewatched it a couple times just to kind of soak it all in. It's the, the research this guy does and the footage he gets like is so perfect. And he highlights passages of books. It's just amazing. So check that out. Well, I gotta be honest with you. I don't know if I'll check it out because zombies are, they terrify me. They're like, people ask me all the time, like, what are your biggest fears? Heights and zombies. Like, that's that. Uh, because I feel like zombie is that one horror genre that I find to be the most realistic. Like, you know, like a, a, a epidemic, a pandemic could hit us tomorrow and it could turn people into zombies in a way. So that, that always has terrified me. Like, zombies always terrify me. So, um, but yet I can't stop consuming zombie, <laughs> like, entertainment. I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, it's um, like you, you fear it, so you want to learn about it so you can destroy it if it actually happens to you or something. I mean, I, here's the thing. Like, my wife and I, when we bought our house, I love the fact that we have this gigantic yard. And I said this to her out loud. I love the fact that we have this gigantic yard because if the zombies come, I can see them coming. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think about these things. So, um, yeah, man, that's awesome. I, I, like, I love any – like, that's why I love – not to bring up another podcast, but that's why I love the podcast Lore – because they just talk yeah. about like all these origin stories of what we what we consider like horror genres and all these things. So that's awesome. I, I can't. I'll, I'll definitely check that out and yeah. do it during do it during the daytime because I can do it at night because I'll be too scared. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with you as far as zombies. But this is definitely like a um, heady, you know, kind of discovery of where zombies come from. So it won't be too scary for you. So don't worry. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, so for my YouTube, and uh, real quick, I, I literally, um, I love how sometimes YouTube does this, where I just open up YouTube and it has like recommended videos or this, like they just kind of knows what you might want to, you know, listen to or see. And they had this great video. It's about four years old, but it's this. I think it's this church youth choir, and they're singing this beautiful song inside an indoor pool at a hotel. Because they figured out that the acoustics in there are incredible. 
So they like you're you're look, you're watching this video of these teenagers like in towels, like they just like had a pool party, and at the end of it they're like, hey, you know what? The acoustics in here are pretty good. Um, let's just start singing, and it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. So yeah, just like look up youth choir, you know, uh, pool acoustics, and you'll see it. But um, it it made me think about just acoustics in general, and like just looking at. I went down a rabbit hole of just watching really cool videos of people singing in bathrooms and singing in caves and things like that. And just hearing just amazing sound uh, coming out of those videos. And um, Ben, I wanted to ask you, cause you're, you, you are a, a singer, like you are someone who specializes in this. Um, is there, is there a location that you find that you want to you know, get some really good acoustics for yourself? Uh, when I'm recording, uh, I go back to the, some of the masters and i record right in my basement bathroom for vocals uh there you go because it's definitely like i have a stand-up bathroom in here you know what i mean like a three-quarter bath nice. and uh so like that you're singing right into it and it gives you a little reverb like instantly um and then actually the garage is great for uh background vocals if you if you're going to do any screams so uh those are the two i use actually those that's a very specific question <laughs> there you go there, well, hey you know it's People, people have their different thing, you know, techniques, but that's awesome, man. Good stuff. Yeah, and Good actually, stuff. I have this, I have this little Tascam recorder. So, uh, you know, T A S C A M, and I'll bring it with us to, um, what do you call it, Comic Con, uh, and nice. it records everything, like beautifully. Like it records a full band playing, and then it'll record you just talking with someone, like perfect dialogue too. So, that's wow. one of my favorite things. I got it for like on Amazon for like eighty bucks, like. I'm going to say over 10 years ago, the thing's still rocking and rolling. I love the thing so much. That's great, man. That's great. Awesome stuff this week. Dude, this was another good one. I, I Again, I have to apologize to the listening audience for my sound quality for me. I'm Again, I'm on the road. I'm traveling. Got to pay the bills. But, you know, this podcast is important. We want to make sure we're getting this thing out every week. Um, and uh, that means, you know, literally either while I'm driving, flying, in a plane, on a train, uh, I will... I will record this podcast for you folks. So there you go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Chris, you know, something that I think we mentioned really quick last week is the, the New York Comic Con coming up. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. That's you, coming up. And do you want to talk about what you told me right before we went on air? Who's going to be there? Well, yeah. I mean, so Netflix just put out a press release today. Uh, they're going to be one of the major panels at Comic Con this year. Uh, they're doing three days of panels. Uh, they're literally, you know, some at, at San Diego, like, you know, Marvel will just do kind of one day and they'll just kind of do everything like in that, you know, couple hours set. But what Netflix is doing, they're literally going to have different panels going on every day. One of which is um, the premiere of season, I think four now of Big Mouth, which yep. on Net, which is Nick Kroll and John Mulaney. Uh, if you haven't seen Big Mouth, my God, folks, get on that show. It is amazing it not only is it hilarious it's informative it's one of those shows i wish that 12 to 13 year olds could really watch and would be appropriate for them to watch because it really <laughs> is it is it, 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 it really is looking at sex education in a completely different way um but yeah no i think definitely for the 17 18 year old crowd they should watch that show because it is it is fantastic uh but they're also going to do uh season two i believe of lost in space is going to be doing a panel um, and a couple others that I, I can't remember, but they're they're literally going to have something every single day. So uh, Ben Ben and I are going to be chock full of stuff um, at Comic Con. I mean, we will we will definitely be 
kind of we'll we'll have to kind of sit down and brainstorm what we want to do, like in terms of you know, uh, whether it's a podcast at the end of each day, whether it's videos, whatever it may be. But we'll figure it all out. But we're gonna we're gonna cover this thing as much as we possibly can because there's gonna be so much things to talk about. Because Ben, it's not just I mean you know it's not just movies and TV. It's 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 obviously comics. It's game like gaming is huge at this thing. They they almost take up an entire room. Um, like the cosplay is going to be out of control at this place. So yeah, ton of things to talk about. I can't wait. Oh, that's a great idea. I didn't even think about a podcast at the end of every day. That'd be, that'd be wicked easy to do. I'll have my task cam recorder. They'll go right to wave. That'd be awesome. Like literally like, you know, how we do the, the top five things. Like we could just come out with like, what's the top five things you saw today? Oh Something shit. Like my God, you're a genius. I think <laughs> we're doing it. There you go. And then we'll post, like, we'll, and on our, if you guys haven't gone to our Facebook page, we'll post photos on the Desperately Seeking Entertainment uh, page for photos. Oh, I can't wait. That's gonna be there great. you go. Awesome, that's gonna dude. Be great. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for this week for us for Desperately Seeking Entertainment. We will be back next week with a brand new episode with plenty of things to talk about because, you know, this cycle, this wheel never stops. But uh, Ben, real quick, did you want to plug anything before we sign off? Anything going on? Uh, no, I'm, I'm hopefully getting back together with the band. We're going to be playing out this winter, hopefully somewhere. Um, I, unfortunately I was offered a couple roles in musicals and stuff, but I had to turn them down. Whoa, really? I know. Well, cause of this New York comic con. I mean, it's oh. now I'm just, now I'm just bragging. So. No, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to those theaters. So. <laughs> but you know, but that's a good problem to have too much cool stuff to do. So I'm just going to keep rocking and rolling. Hopefully I can get back on a stage soon. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And folks, you can listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts, the Onstage Blog Podcast Network, where we currently have about eight podcasts uh, that are consistently uploading new material. We've got a brand new one called Hot Take Theater with Chris Peterson. That's my podcast, where I basically go on rants for about a half an hour. So uh, if, <laughs> if you like that, then you'll love this, uh, because that's basically what I do. We're talking about uh, just some topics that are that need to be talked about within the theater industry. So we're really staying within that. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to be doing any rants, you know, about Marvel films, things like that. That that's I reserve for this podcast. Or the Last Jedi. Um, or the Last <laughs> Jedi. Like that's 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 exclusive for this podcast. Uh, but there's a lot of you know topics that need to be talked about at great length within the theater industry. So that's what that podcast is all, all about. We also have a new podcast from from some friends of ours in Chicago. It's called Are Is Are Your Parents Proud of You? Uh, basically, they're talking. Uh, it's an interview podcast. They talk to different theatrical uh, professionals and basically ask the question, like, "Hey, like, did did this all work out? Are your parents proud of you?" All that fun stuff. So, I uh, really can't wait for those episodes to start gearing up because it's uh, it's gonna be a good one. So, can't wait. So, definitely check that out. Uh, this podcast and all of our podcasts can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, uh, Spotify, Red Circle. We're actually gonna be on iHeartRadio soon too, as well. I don't know if I told you that. Awesome. Um, so we're we're just we're growing we're growing and I can't I can't thank you the listener uh, enough because it's because of you that we're doing all this. So yeah, and Chris, actually, I was talking to someone over the weekend about the pod. They were able to pull it up right away. So we are definitely our web oh, presence is is up and around. So just go out there, Google it, just search for us. We're right there. Love it, love it, folks. All right, well, we'll see you right here next week on Desperately Seeking Entertainment. Have a good one, folks.